0: This week, we continue our series we're calling, We Believe. Last week, we started the Apostles' Creed portion of the series by looking at the first article, We Believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of Heaven and Earth. We saw how God is good, how He is the creator of all, how He is redeemed fatherhood, and how He is almighty, all-powerful, and just generally Fantastic. As we'll see, the different articles of the Creed are focused on the different aspects of the Trinity, that amazing element of God that we will not be able to fully comprehend until we have a new or we have new and perfect minds. This week, in the second article, we will be taking a look at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for we confess in the second article I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now there are a ton of places that we could begin to work through this confession, this profession but we can't hit all of them, and I've decided that we'll sit in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. It's, it's, not a lot of verses. it's not a lot of verses, but it hits some pretty fantastic elements of who Jesus is and what that means for us. Peter and John have been taken into custody for preaching about Jesus. The established church of the day is not very excited about them. They have spent the night in jail and are now receiving their hearing before the Sanhedrin, and our text this morning is an excerpt from Peter's fantastic speech, and I would encourage you to go back and and read the whole thing sometime, but for this morning's purposes will be in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there now. If you do not, that's cool. There should be a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you, or you are welcome to follow along as the words will be on the screens beside me. We read the word of the Lord this morning, Acts chapter 4, 11 to 12. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name amen this week a video game came out that I'm pretty excited to play it's called God of War Ragnarok you play the role of a tired somewhat depressed though super strong father Kratos who is trying to protect his son from the ancient mythological Norse gods during Ragnarok the end of the world it's a ridiculous premise But there's something about a game in which you are protecting someone, in which you are bettering yourself by leveling up, increasing in health and strength, finding new weapons and taking on the forces that are bent towards your destruction. There is something awesome about fighting huge monsters and villains and winning. There's something deeply satisfying about progressing through the levels, leveling up, feeling yourself, your character get stronger and stronger as you persevere in the way that the game's storyline, the developers behind the scenes intended you to. And leveling up isn't just something we see in video games, is it? My kids have been leveling their way up through school. They complete one grade and then they move on to the next. We see it in sports, starting at a lower level like kickball and then t ball and then coach pitch and then player pitch all while getting to know more about the game and, and how to hit and how to swing when to swing when to lay off a pitch how to throw how to work on our speed and eventually if we've worked as hard as we can and we have enough God given ability we might end up in you know getting drafted and be in the minor leagues and if we keep working and developing and and leveling up we'll get to the majors and if we keep going and keep working Working, maybe, maybe we'll even be able to level up to the Hall of Fame. We see it at work at our jobs as well, right? You start at the bottom, you you put in your time. Answering phones, picking up lunch. You learn the processes, you learn what makes the company, the business tick, you, you work hard and you move up, you, you level up until at some point you work your way into a manager position and then maybe a, a director position and then maybe someday after you've put in the time, after you've leveled up enough, you get to be the, the CEO or even the owner. Obviously, different jobs and different professions are going to have different roots and and different tracks and different ceilings, but we're all trying to play the same game. We're all trying to work our way up the ladder. We're all trying to level up in life. And we see it in our social lives a little as well, don't we? We aren't best friends with someone the first time we meet them. We, We need to put in some time. We need to get to know each other, whether the intentions for the relationship are romantic or platonic, whether we're looking for a spouse or just a friend. We level up our relationships, don't we? Putting in time, increasing our trust, getting to know each other better, and as we invest in each other, invest in each other, our our relationship grows. The comfort level we have with each other grows, but relationships can be a little tricky too, can't they? Because sometimes you feel like you want the relationship more than the other person does. They didn't hit that like button on the post you put up on your socials like you'd hoped they would. They didn't respond to that text as, as quickly as you expected them to. Are they mad? Did, did something go wrong? Are you not as close as, as you thought that you were? Do you like them more than they like you? And as the doubts about our relationships begin to hit us, we wonder if we're leveling up our relationship or if we're losing levels. I remember when Karen and I were dating, and I had certain expectations of what dating would look like, and she had certain expectations of what dating would look like, and those expectations, they didn't always line up. No, it felt like things were going good. It felt like we were getting closer and closer, and then I'd do something dumb, like trying to start a snow fight, like you see in those ridiculous Hallmark movies. Except the snowbank that I was pushing her somewhat forcefully into was not fluffy, like it looked, but frozen solid. Poor girl bounced off it and then sprawled all over the pavement and looked up at me with fire in her eyes. There were times that I would do something that fit within my expectations without realizing that they were outside Karen's expectations. How do guys' nights fit into our schedule? What restaurants are we going to limit ourselves to even though one of us loves to explore the menu and one of us finds a comfortable nook and settles in for life? Do we always have to hold hands in public right like these are the types of things and and then we get into an argument and I'd get nervous that I had just lost a level in the relationship with this young woman who I was growing to love And, and that freaked me out and that's dealing with relationships amongst each other do we sometimes wonder if we are losing levels in our relationship with our God we know what God's expectations are for us, he's, he's laid them out very clearly in scripture. We know that the law that he has given us is for our benefit. We know that life would be more edifying, would be better for us functionally and spiritually if we did all the things that God asks us to do in the Bible. We know that God isn't trying to put us through some difficult ropes course or have us jump through a bunch of hoops for his own enjoyment. He's not helping to, to shape, or he's helping to shape us and to mold us into better human beings and to protect us from the evil in the world around us, from the influence of the devil and from the yearnings of our broken and sinful hearts. This morning in confirmation, we, we hit the, the part of the, the Lord's prayer. It says, "Lead us not into temptation." Jesus, God isn't bringing us into play. He's, he's shaping us. He's molding us. He's causing us to rely on Him that he might protect us from the temptations in the world around us and from the temptations in our own hearts. God's law is not intended to be a chain around our necks. It is the freedom to live the life that is best for us. We're not very good at following the instructions, the directions that God has given us, are we? Not only do we struggle in avoiding the sinful urges that we're called to deny, and we struggle to resist the temptations that are put before us, we also struggle to do the things that we are called to do, the things that seem like they would level up our relationship with God. How how many of us are excellent at carving out devotional time? How many of us are in the Word of God, the Bible, on a daily basis? How many of us are able to keep check on our tongues like we're supposed to? How many of us give the respect and honor to those that God has placed in authority, be it parent, boss, president, whoever, like the Bible tells us to? How many of us are able to keep ourselves from coveting? How many of us have kept our eyes from wandering? How many of us consistently avoid those places on the Internet that we should absolutely not be going to? How many of us keep a tight lid on our anger? How many of us have been constant, consistently keeping our eyes open for the ways that God has called us to join Him in His mission, and how many of us have faithfully responded to that call? Hopefully, we do some of these things all the time, right? In our minds, that's what leveling up our relationship with God would look like, doing these things that he has called us to, getting to know him regularly in his word, living a godly, moral life, and joining him on his mission. These are the ways that we grow closer to him. These are the ways that we know more of him. These are the ways that we level up, right? So how are we doing with that? How's that going in your life? going for you about as well as it is for me, where I'm able to do some of those things some of the time, but I fail to do all the things all the time. So what happens when we aren't as good at doing these things? How does God respond to us when we aren't in his word like we're called to be? How does God respond to us when we slip and fall into sin? How does God respond when we miss or ignore opportunities that He has arranged for us to join Him in His mission? Do we lose levels with God? Are we less worthy Christians? Can we still call ourselves Christians? How does God look at us when we fail? Will He ignore us? Will He move on from us if we can't maintain the level of the relationship that we've moved into? Will he abandon us if we can't keep our lives together, if we can't get past an addiction or a particular struggle? How does God respond when we don't live up to the expectations that he has lined out for us in scripture? There's a guy that I follow on Twitter. His name is Jared C. Wilson. He's an author and a professor at a Baptist seminary. And and this week he sent out a tweet that hit me right in the heart as I was struggling through these questions myself. He wrote this. Christian, there's not a morning you wake up that the Lord is looking down over you saying, Impress me. There's not a morning you wake up that the Lord is looking down over you saying, Impress me. Do you feel that? God's not sitting up on his heavenly throne with his arms crossed, looking down his nose at you saying, Impress me. God knows that we can't impress him. He knows that we don't have the ability to level up our relationship with him. He knows that we can't do what we're supposed to do all the time. He knows that we, can't, that, that we fail where we are expected to succeed. He knows that we cannot keep our end of the agreement. We cannot maintain our end of the relationship. That's why when he made the covenant with Abraham, when, when he promised to be the God of Abraham's people, an everlasting promise of care and love and deliverance, Abraham didn't take part. Typically, when a covenant was made in those days, both parties would be part would take part of the ritual. But God put Abraham to sleep and then he performed both parts of the process. God was telling us even then, even way back then, with Abraham the first, way back then, he was telling us that he had us For he knew that we could not keep our side of the bargain. We could not maintain our part of the covenant. We could not level up our relationship. We need God to do the maintaining and the leveling up of our relationship with him. And in the second article of the Apostles' Creed, we confess God's work in maintaining our relationship and leveling up our relationship with him. For he accomplished all of this through Jesus Christ. At the fall of Adam and Eve, we see that sin is passed on through the man. Adam did not act in the ways that he was supposed to act. He did not lead like he was called to lead. And so though Eve ate the apple first, sin passes down uh, to mankind through Adam. If you have an earthly sinful father, you too are sinful. But Jesus didn't have one of those, did he? As we confess, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That means... Or that that doesn't mean that God had sex with Mary. It means that God worked in a supernatural way, not a carnal way, but in a way that transcends our physical world. And he caused Mary to become pregnant with his son. And Jesus lived here on earth. He, he taught us and he hung out with us. He blessed us and then he suffered for us. He suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate for though it was the Jews that called for Jesus' blood, it was Pilate who convicted him. The man that he knew was not guilty of the charges brought against him. In order to stop a riot in an attempt to keep the peace, Pilate condemned a man that he knew was innocent to death. And not just any death, but a death reserved for the worst of Roman society. And so Jesus was sent up a hill carrying large beams of wood fashioned into a cross. And there at Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to what the Bible calls that cursed tree. And as the nails went through his hands and as he was raised up in his suffering, Jesus became sin for us there on that cross. For all the times that we have fallen short of God's expectations, of our expectations, for all the times that we didn't read our Bibles when we should, for all the times we didn't carve out time like we should, for all the times we were selfish and sinned like we wanted to, though we knew God had called us not to, for all the times that we had neglected or hurt those that we love, every time that we have hurt someone we love or even someone we didn't like that much, Christ died for every sin that we have ever done. For he became every sin that we have ever done and ever will do. And there on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for our sin. Your sin, my sin, the sin that has been done and the sin that we will yet do. Jesus died for all of it. And just before he died, he said these three words, it is finished. Christian, it is finished. The penalty for sin has been paid. You know, sometimes you'll go out to eat with friends and you're fighting over, fighting over who's going to pay the bill. And maybe sometimes you compromise and say, well, okay, you can get the bill, but let me get the tip. Right? You paid the heavy cost, but but let me add a little bit. Let me at least feel like I'm contributing. Church, we don't even get to cover the tip. Jesus paid it all. There is nothing we can do to level up our relationship with God, for Christ has done it already. He has paid the price with his death. And then we get this interesting part of the creed that we're not necessarily ready for. He descended into hell. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus spent time in the place of eternal torment? That he went there to receive the punishment for our sin? No. No, now this part of the creed is important, but it is a little confusing. We confess hell because it's what we're used to, but a proper translation would be more like Hades or Sheol in the Hebrew. It's a place where the spirits of the dead are waiting between death and the final punishment or reward. It's, it's not purgatory, as, as some would have us believe, where we can pray people from punishment to reward. We know that it's not that, but we don't really know much more than that about this particular place. It's it's something that the Bible isn't incredibly clear about. What we do know is that Jesus went to this place, not for punishment, but to proclaim his victory. He descended into hell not to suffer, but to tell all those that had died before, to let all those that had died before know of his power, know of his victory. A victory that he claimed three days later when he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And so for those that have faith in Jesus, those that rest in their belief in Christ as their Lord and Savior, those that believe they are sinful by nature and need Jesus' work on the cross on their behalf, for all those that believe this, there is salvation. We hear the words of Peter again, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is it. This is how we are saved. This is God's plan for us. We can't level ourselves up in God's favor. We can't get powerful enough to defeat our demons. We can't get strong enough to resist every temptation and the failings that we've already had keep us from even dreaming about being perfect enough for God. And so our only hope, the only chance that we have is found in the person, the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we believe in him, the dirty rags of our sin are taken from us and we are clothed in robes of pure white righteousness so that when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, but he sees the righteousness of His Son. Christ has leveled us all the way up. And we can rejoice in that. We can be thankful for that. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, we are saved, our sins are forgiven. We have relationship with God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, because of the work of Christ, the Savior, and the faith that we have been given. What a story! What hope, what a promise, what a plan. This is the plan that God put in place with Abraham. This is how he would save his people. And while we rejoice in the saving work of our Christ, we also know that Ragnarok is coming. No, not like it would be with Kratos in my video game, fighting off these weird gods and monsters of North mythology, but we do know that someday time will end. We do know that there will be a time judgment. And we confess that in our creed as well, don't we? Jesus has risen from the grave and he has ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. That's where Jesus is now. He isn't physically manifest on this world anymore, but here's the deal. Someday he's coming back. He won't be gone forever. Someday he's coming back. For as we confess from the right hand of God, Jesus will return to earth to judge the living, and the dead. So often it's God the Father that we think of as the judge. He's the one we picture as the big mean man in the sky, while Jesus is the loving man of of self-sacrifice that came to earth. How many times when a controversial piece of scripture is quoted have I heard the response, well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus was just all about loving everyone and and accepting everyone, so I'm going to stick with the words of Jesus, not that bigot Paul. It's often Paul's words that people struggle with in the New Testament. And and I get the sentiment there. Though I would argue that the Bible is clear that all of Scripture is God-breathed, so Paul's words are God's words. But, But that aside, if we are just looking at Jesus as this cuddly teddy bear who comforts us and loves us and accepts us and protects us and took the wrath of God for us and he is those things minus the teddy bear if that's the only picture we have of Jesus then we're missing something we're missing the holy avenger that is going to return from heaven on a white horse with a big sword We're missing the man who will slay the dragon and win the final war. We're missing the man who Isaiah says has his white robe soaked in red from the verdicts that he has carried out. For we're missing the man, the Son of God, who will render judgment. Jesus is not some meek preacher giving out teachings that we have license to abuse. Jesus took the wrath of God in our place. And if we have faith in him, if we accept his sacrifice, then judgment will be a day, a wonderful day. The best day that we could ever imagine. But if we do not have faith in him, if we have decided that we do not need his sacrifice on our behalf and the wrath of the Son, the wrath of Christ, the judgment of Jesus will fall upon you on the last day before time is no more. Jesus cannot and will not be mocked. Make no mistake that he is God part of the Trinity in a way that we have a difficult time comprehending, but God nonetheless. And as we struggle with the reality of what will someday come to pass, may that spur us on into mission. May the love of God overflow in us, that we would live a life of response to all that God has done for us that we would willingly and intentionally follow the laws and the guidance that he has given to us for our benefit, that we might grow in our relationship with him, that our relationship with God would be strengthened. And may we tell our neighbor about the God who loves them so much he sent his son to die for them that they too might live forever in heaven with him. We can't level up to salvation, church. Church. We can never be good enough to earn our way to salvation. Let us not hear that and decide that we won't do anything to further our relationship with God. Instead, may we strive to live the life that God has called us to. It's good for us. It's a benefit for us, and it strengthens our relationship with Him. It brings glory to God. But when we fail, may we remember this second article of the Apostles' Creed. May we remember that Jesus died for the times we fail. That when we believe in him, we live in the benefits of our forgiveness. And that one day, one glorious day, when all is made new, we will be with our Lord and Savior forever and eternity. What a fantastic, awesome, wonderful, gracious, merciful, and just God we serve. Amen.